Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D. Svedchuk, and welcome back to another... I'm running out of adjectives to describe this podcast. Uh, Final Cuts presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. We, of course, are, uh, as always, on site here in our lovely Rough Drafts studios in Webster, New York, Rochester, New York. And our our West Coast correspondent... uh, how I, I guess I have to call you the cowboy of the group because you are out west, Chase Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, how are we doing today, buddy? I cannot, in all good conscience, be called a cowboy. I, I, anyone who knows me as the human teddy bear that I am knows that had I been born in the wild west, I would have died so fucking fast. There's no way. Um, I acknowledge my strengths and weaknesses as a person, but cowboy. I I cannot ride a horse for shit. No way, no how. I I have none of the skills necessary to pull off that wild western life. But okay, but what about the wild wild west? I mean, the robot spider I could maybe <laughs> hatch onto. I do love the giant robot spider from that film. Uh, but look, I am excited to be here from uh, the lovely Los Angeles talking to you today about a very exciting in, in Western film that I enjoyed quite a bit. So do you, do you do you classify before I even say the name of the movie? I do want to I want to nail this down. Is this movie a Western? Absolutely. It's a Western. OK. How else are we defining Western, if not a film that is from that particular period covering the lifestyle of those engaging in, like, it's, it's, it's got all the pieces of a Western. How would you define a Western, Walter? See, I think the part that I get hung up on is the, like, late 1800s cowboy-style Western, where I'm not really used to, like, sort of the turn-of-the-century, like, early 1900s, 1910s, you know, like, pre-World War, or, you know, pre-World War One, Great Depression kind of era. And, like, I have struggled internally to try and decide what genre uh, the power of the dog does fall into. And and I kind of agree. I, I do kind of settle on it. It's a Western. It's a historical drama piece, but it's set out West in Montana, which at this time does still feel kind of, like, the wild west um yeah i mean we this feels something kind of like something different to me because i don't think back when we used to do the podcast way back in the day i don't think we ever touched on like the hateful eight so i don't know if we've touched on westerns too much no this uh, is our first category this is either our first or second western that we've ever talked about on the show, depending on the order in which we decide to release episodes. That is true, because either the episode previous to this or the episode after this uh, will also be another Netflix Western movie. Surprise, we're spoiling our show before we even spoil the movie. Uh, (laughs) But before we either harp on something we've already talked about or spoil even more of uh, what we're going to talk about in two weeks. Chase, I said to you in prep, uh, you know, five minutes ago before we started recording this, Mm -hmm. that this movie was clearly Oscar bait. I referenced another movie that I have not talked about 
all that kindly before in The Revenant, and you were very interested in where I finally came down on this movie. So Chase, as I always do, let me set the stage of how I viewed this. I, I want to be um, clear. I'm more scared than anything at this moment in time, because this podcast is going to go one of two different ways, and I, I, I'm very uh, nervous to see which journey we're about to go on together. Well, Chase, you don't have to be the Rose Gordon to my Phil Burbank, because again, let me set the stage. I watched this movie as, like, while I was eating lunch and uh, I was putting up some acoustic foam, actually, in my office to help deal with some of the echo that I have been hearing while editing the podcast. And you might say, like, okay, well, the last time you were doing, like, chores while you watched a movie, it was Black Widow. And all of your references are getting worse. And, (laughs) Walter, I'm really scared what you think about this movie. You compared it to two movies you don't like. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I loved this movie. Yeah, This was a great, enjoyable experience. One, because I didn't pay $30 to see it in a theater, which soured me in The Revenant and probably would have soured me on this movie. But yes, Chase, I will end the suspense. I enjoyed this movie. And clearly you did too. So just kind of right out of the gate like we normally do, what were your first impressions? What were sort of your expectations going into it? You know, how did things turn out for you? You know, this is a movie that I went in knowing that it's going to be in the best picture conversation. This is a movie that uh, in all of the uh, kind of uh, film festivals in which it was shown, all of the award shows that we've seen kind of do the early uh, kind of, uh, you know, some of them announce the winners of the awards before the actual ceremony next year. And Power of the Dog has been getting a whole bunch of attention from all of them. I haven't necessarily seen this kind of western before you know usually when i think of western i think of the more cowboys run and gun shooty uh you know that that angle to it which this is not that film at all um but what we get is the best acting performance of benedict cumberbatch's career and a performance from kirsten dunst that if it does not finally get her uh, the best actress nod is a or uh i guess supporting actress i believe um that would be a crime it would be a literal crime to not reward what an incredible performance we got from her in this as well i i i did not know where things were going to end up and i will admit i spent the first 45 minutes to an hour of this film waiting for things to ramp it was a slow burn but Boy, once we got there, there is a menace to this film, this atmosphere that it is able to create. The tension could be cut with a knife. I was engaged and enwrapped in it uh, once it finally did get started. Um, and i blown away uh, by uh, the end result. I, this will absolutely be... Uh, in my best picture conversation at the end of the year, uh, because from a filmmaking perspective and some of the acting performances here, incredible, incredible work all across the board. Uh, I I couldn't agree with you uh, more. And I will say one of my, I, again, I used the word Oscar bait earlier because everything about this movie coming into it felt 
like it was written to be Netflix's kind of proof of like, hey guys, we can write a very kind of traditional script, traditional movie, traditional plot that the Academy Awards seem to like and they seem to go after and they seem to reward directors and and producers and actors and actresses and across the board. Um, I think that it also having Benedict Cumberbatch in it, someone who has only been nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor once and did not win it for what was not a very good movie, um, it, it, it just felt like to me like the revenant of, hey, we're going to go get Cumberbatch an Oscar here. We're going to go bring an Oscar back for Netflix or at least make it very, very difficult for the Academy to not select this movie as an Oscar. Um, Dunst, again, going into it, I was kind of like, I really thought this was going to be just the Benedict Cumberbatch show. I really thought this was going to be highlighting it. I know a lot of sort of the method acting rumors we heard about him going into it was kind of turning me off because mistreating other people just because you're in a movie seems weird and unnecessary. But, yeah... The menace that that Cumberbatch's Phil Burbank is able to express in the first half of this movie is so perfectly counteracted, not only by Dunst and just being just being terrified of him, but also uh, Jesse Plemons uh, as his brother George Burbank. They play such a nice contrast of how could these two men be related? This man is prim and proper and, you know, is, is helping uh, Rose with her customers at one point. And Phil is like, yeah, it's a pretty flower. I'm going to light my cigarette with it. And, oh, you're using the napkin that way. Oh, lads, let's we got to use the right. And it's just so mean. And it's just perfect because Cumberbatch... You say this is the best acting performance of his career. I do think that the final episode of Sherlock is pretty close. Um, just to me personally, because I love I love BBC Sherlock and I love that episode in particular. Um, that he plays such a good dick. Like he he's so good at it. It is brilliant um first of all he can finally do an american accent which is not something you could say about a couple other films that he has been in um i was worried about that uh but he absolutely nails the western accent here um there is a menace to his character that is just every time he shows up you get like oh god what is this guy going to do next um the the one that sticks out to me and that I constantly come back to is the scene where uh, Rose Gordon is uh, she she's going through uh, the trash cans outside because she is looking for her fix of alcohol because this guy has just driven her to drink. Um, she's not able to handle the pressure that just permeates her existence as long as she has to share a living space with this guy and what does he do upon seeing that he starts whistling and it's this it's it's perfect for two reasons one it's the song that she couldn't play properly so it's that dig and it's letting her know that he knows what she is doing and she just has to sit there and deal with it like it's 
Oh, man. See, see, I I don't think it's that scene. I think it's the scene where she's practicing the piano and he, like, sneaks in and then plays the banjo. And then she, st- like, finally catches him and is staring up at him up the stairs as he's just standing there drilling a hole into the back of, like, just, just right through her eyes and playing this song perfectly on the banjo. The scene you're talking about to me, I do get sort of, I don't get menace from it. I still get the sort of, like, you know, overwatching, ever-seeing eye type, like, I see you. But that scene almost, to me, there's almost a little bit of pity to it. Oh, I don't that see she's She's so desperate that she's just trying to get the little last dreg of alcohol out of a bottle in the refuse. And, like, he's above her. And that, that to me is more that. It's not menace of like, you're pathetic, like, you're pathetic, ha ha ha, yeah, I'm so much better than you. It's more of a like, yeah, I am, I, I am better than you. Well, that's just it, right? She is at her lowest moment, her most vulnerable. She is literally scrounging through the trash to get alcohol, and he has to get another dig at her. Perfect. It, it's, oh, it's so good. Um, and and he does it in a in a few different places. Obviously, his his character is constantly looking for ways to undermine the people that he's around. And it's fascinating watching him bounce off of uh, Jesse Plemons' uh, portrayal of, of George, and you know, clearly wanting to have bonding moments with his brother, but not being able to let the machismo down to actually talk to him like a person right he has to insult him he has to call him fatso or demean you know whatever it is that he's interested in he refuses to ever engage with people at the level that he wants to be engaged with and there is a self-loathing that we come to uncover about that when we see his interactions with peter rose's son um, who he is so harsh to about, you know, some of the more effeminate nature that he has and really goes out of his way to kind of terrorize that kid, only for us to discover his stack of physical culture magazines, which, one, uh, I had just learned about the guy behind those on Behind the Bastards, another great podcast. It's a great episode. Uh, the two-parter on the guy who... Uh, founded that Sando is really fun. Um, but also, like, when you realize that his the whole reason he hasn't settled down too is because he is gay in a time in which he cannot admit that to any of the people around him, and that that kind of self-loathing comes in the form of him being the harshest on someone who reminds him of that side of himself it's just god there's so much to unpack in every moment that phil burbank is on the screen he is a fascinating multi-layered character with so much to unravel um and just brilliantly portrayed uh benedict cumberbatch is my pick for actor of the year thanks to this performance and i just blown away by the layers of depth that he adds to the role. It is hard for me to contest that um, from what I have seen. And I know I have not seen much of probably the Oscar 
nomination list at this point. I know once they come out, you and I have both discussed, we're going to have to go back and catch up on some of these movies. Um, I know like King Richard, Will Smith will probably be up there at some point. Um, I think the actor in the other movie that we either have talked about or haven't talked about yet, uh, he has a fabulous performance. But Cumberbatch is is so brilliant because he does have this very nuanced growth throughout the course of the movie. and You learn all these little things about him and go over it. And there are scenes that going back, uh, I haven't watched a second time, but going back and reading some reviews and reading some more detailed plot synopsis of things that are just details I missed or misinterpreted. Uh, the scene where he is he is bathing himself and then he has the the cloth um, that he uh, pleasures himself with. Yeah. In that scene, I thought that was something of roses and that that was the angle this was going towards was it was sort of a Oklahoma style Judd falling for Lori. And Lori doesn't want the the bad old you know cowboy. She wants the more prim and proper gentleman. And, and George, in this case, or Curly. And afterwards, after the revelation, after the uh, as you said, physical culture mags, which also I was sort of confused about. I didn't. I didn't. I then was like, oh, that's is that like a nudie mag? Like, is this? And that's when I sort of got the like, oh, he's he's gay. But I misinterpreted that first scene. I missed something when I was watching it. And maybe it was because I was slightly distracted by eating or, or doing something else. But I missed the context of that that would have given me that clue or that like inkling of like, oh, that's a little weird a little bit sooner. And just sort of the growth. And I think I think the scene where they're out in the uh, out in like the grove because, um, you know, it's turned into spring or summer and it's it's you know, hiring season, we get a whole bunch of ranch hands to take care of everything. And, uh, and, and the boy, um, Peter, they all, you know, they ride out there to provide the food and Peter's like walking around and they call him, you know, queer. And they say, why didn't he soak his jeans and all that. And then Phil, whether it is a moment of, he understands that Rose is trying to protect Peter and, and trying to make sure he is not, corrupted by these gross disgusting evil men or whether it's because he does have this moment of like weakness of like i need to take this boy under my wing he tells him to call him phil and he says i'm you know he does the thing of like have you ever seen such a pretty rope and like you know what i'm gonna finish this by the time you go to school and i'm gonna teach you how to use it and to me that is the real like the the real acceleration of the decline of rose and we can start talking about kristen dunst's performance now but when phil goes after peter and again whether it's malice or whether it's you know genuine connection that to me is what really accelerates just the collapse of rose gordon as a character because that is the last the last thing she has in the world to hold on to she's not even really happy that she's with george necessarily she's you know as as george puts it in the scene where they're they're out and they're having their tea you know just out in the plains in the car and he's crying and he just says i i just want to say how nice it is not to be alone that's sort of both of them they they both just didn't want to be alone 
But because George is the businessman of the two brothers, he's the one that's got to drive off into town. He's the one that's got to go to all of these meetings. He's the one that's got to be away from the ranch. And Phil, the person that she despises and is disgusted by and is afraid of, is the constant presence. I... I, I I, I can't say anything more about uh, about Cumberbatch. I mean, he was just phenomenal as the the villain to start, and then as this very sympathetic character as we wind it down towards the end, and, and you sort of reveal, you know, he went, he was a, uh, I can't remember whether it's Oxford or Harvard when the the uh, governor's wife brings it up and they want to talk to him. And he is, he's like very eloquent at times, and, and you know when he's not around the boys and. He has way more, I feel like, depth to his character than than Rose did, than Dunst did. I feel like Dunst had a little bit less to work with, but she also runs this very wide gamut of emotions. I, I do want to add one more thing about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's role here, because I the Bronco Henry stuff is absolutely worth pointing to as a a deconstruction of that machismo energy, right? Like the first time he talks about it, it's like, oh yeah, this is how you talk about like, you know, the people that you admire, right? It's the, it's the, he was the manliest of manly men and, and therefore like the guy that he, you know, most looks up to, but then you see the handkerchief that he, he masturbates with. It's like, oh, there was more there. And at the end, you get the story about how Bronco Henry saved his life by lying the two of them real close together in a bedroll uh, where they may or may not have been naked. And you were like, oh man, the line between macho culture and uh, that kind of uh, that homoeroticism there, it is a, a thin line. And there's so much of that like macho-ness that Phil puts on that he feels like he needs to put on. Um, that you you see how that shield gets dropped over time. And it is when he finally lets that down and allows himself to be vulnerable with Peter that Peter's able to poison him with anthrax in what is, in my opinion, oh God, that seems so good. Um, but to, to circle to Kirsten Dunst for a little bit here, because I think her performance is absolutely worth spending some time on. You know, she portrays someone who is very clearly hurt and we learned that her husband had hung himself which is a traumatic experience for anyone to go through and it's left her in this position early on where she's having to work as a waitress for people that never treat her with any respect and you know george fills that hole right he is nice he is respectful he does things for her um that no one else would otherwise and she gets there there's a lot of value from that but it comes at a cost and the cost is being around someone who undermines her at every turn the things that she thinks she's good at he is so much better at and you you know there's never an ability to get comfortable because phil is not the kind of person to let anyone be comfortable and so you see her go from a character who is, you know, not in a particularly happy place, but is ultimately holding her own to one that starts to drink heavily to deal with that. And the desperation of her character and the real pain that you see when uh, Phil starts taking Peter out and she's 
incredibly worried about this guy who has done so much to tear her down and her confidence down. Like, that's her son, and it, it tears her apart, and you feel it. Um, it's some really incredible work. I, I understand what you mean when you say that there's not as much to do, and the fact that maybe there aren't as many layers here, but she makes the most out of every moment that she is given. And I gotta tell you, my heart broke for her in the scene where they have uh, the guests over, the governor, and she's asked to play, and she just can't do it. That stage fright just overtakes her. And Phil comes back in and makes a whole thing of it. And she just, it, it, it's the kind of, as someone with social anxiety, like you could feel her dying inside just a little bit, you know, just that like, oh my God, it's, it, she so badly wants to um, be able to hold her own. And there's just nothing left uh to her that she feels like she can stand on and, and it leads to uh you know that mess that of course propels her son to to do something about it because he doesn't like seeing his mom hurt that way um and it's just i it, it's a very good compliment to what is going on with all the other characters in the in the film and that's to me exactly what you want from a supporting actress I feel like maybe we have cross wires on on something here. Do you think Peter purposely poisoned him? Oh, 100%. No, he, remember, he goes out and grabs the cow. He purposely seeks a cow with anthrax so that he could grab it and then tells his mom to get the, rid of the hide so that he can give him the hide with anthrax on it. Because otherwise, Phil would have never touched a hide with anthrax. That's the whole... Did you miss that scene? It was a big... It was a whole thing. It was very clear. I I must have, but I didn't miss him getting the the leather. I didn't miss him getting the leather at you, all. You didn't see, I, like him like seeking out a cow that had the same sign of anthrax from the earlier part of the film. Okay, so here's my interpretation of that scene: is that earlier on he has the rabbit right, and and he catches the rabbit. They have the scene in the bedroom. The the other uh, house I don't want to call it maid, but the maid wants to take the the rabbit a carrot and. He's dissecting the animal. So in that scene, I didn't see it as him purposely. I miss. I don't have the same interpretation as you. I have an interpretation of he's been taught how to ride. So he like goes off because he wants to explore the area because he's a scientist. He's a doctor. He's a man of, of knowledge. And he happens to come across a, a cow. And I guess in that moment, I didn't detect that scene as him... Um, him purposely cutting leather, I saw that as him. He's like, oh, hey, here's a body I can dissect and I can further my studies. And afterwards, after I wa you know, watched the movie, I did find it a little weird that they wouldn't show him like taking notes or anything in a little, you know, little montage type scene. And then I guess am I might have missed the scene. You're saying that Peter tells Rose to get rid of the hides. I only remember her being told by, again, the, the older woman not to give the hides to the Indians, to ignore it. And ultimately, to me, that is Rose just making an act of defiance, finally defying the will of Phil, doing something he doesn't want, 
And that whole scene of him saying they were mine and not immediately implying he needed the leather to finish the rope, but just being like, I'm the man in charge. I can do whatever I want with those. I own them. They're mine. This is my kingdom. And then eventually Peter, like Peter says, oh, I wanted to be like you. To me, that didn't come across like that. That came across not as not as an assassin, but it came across as I've you know become friends with you, and I I wanted to emulate you, and I was saving these for whatever reason. He was lying. But I'll give them to you. He, that's why he smiles at the end when the guy's dead, and makes sure to hold the gloves on the rope because he knows that it has anthrax on it. That's why he never handles it with his bare hands. He's very aware, as someone who studied the science. Like it's I I, I like. I understand that things can be kind of open to interpretation, but he, like, the whole quote at the end is, you know, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. And the power of the dog is this guy who's, like, like he is delivering his mom from the alcoholism and despair that she's in. The only way he sees to get rid of her is to kill her. It is to kill him, I should say, in order to allow his mom to be able to live in peace. And we see her sober at the end as a result. Like, 100%. Jane Campion, you sly fox. It's so good. I like, and 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 and, like that's incredible to me is that I missed this entire plot point, and I still thought the movie was so incredible because to me the the relationship between Phil and Peter doesn't end up being one of like I said, an assassin sneaking his way into the castle to kill the king. It's of a mentor and a mentee. I can't believe I missed that. I am I am like I'm shook. And maybe that just means I'm, I have to stop watching movies while I'm doing <laughs> I mean, wow. It's so, uh, that's what makes the scene where the, he's actually making the rope so, like, it, one of the most captivating things I've ever seen in film because he is watching uh, Phil, like, he, he's poisoning Phil in that moment, but they're doing it together in this moment where they're kind of bonding and he shares the cigarette and there's that, like, homoerotic energy to the whole thing. It's, I, I, I mean, I have never seen a homoerotic anthrax poisoning scene before. Um, and I am so glad that I have. It was just, like, to see the one moment, right, when Phil finally lets his guard down. He finally allows himself to open up to somebody about uh, the real person that he is and is genuinely thankful. It is that moment in which he's no longer being careful about something that, you know, as his brother points out when the doctor talks to him about it, Phil never would have done. He was he was an expert rancher. He knows to look out for this stuff. And he lets his guard down for this one moment and Peter makes the most of it and he saves his mom. And there's something that is just, Oh God, it's just so well executed and it's so palpable. You just watch that scene. I I have to ask you what that scene was like for you, because obviously I was watching it with that understanding the entire time. And so I'm like, Oh my God, this like, tension and chemistry that they're building here like while this poisoning thing is happening is mesmerizing what was that scene like to you 
I mean, I, I'm going to say it was similar, but it wasn't coming from a position of poisoning. It was coming from a position of we have had all of the, you know, the, the evidence that Phil is gay. We've, we've just, we've had it. We've had enough to understand that this rancher persona, it's a persona, it's a mask. He is hiding who he truly is. And the lighting, the... Uh, the intimate nature of him crafting this rope that he promised someone that he theoretically, you know, reminds him a little bit of himself. It's, it's a mentor mentee. It's a, you know, this person saved me. And because I, he's hiding that he's gay. So he inherently must think that that is bad, that that's a negative thing. And that it is him being this macho man rancher. It's him absolving himself is is pretend is you know uh, defying his true nature or whatever and he's trying to do the same thing to help peter and help him you know to become like phil but in not a negative way in a, in a good way and show you can be you know you can be a uh, a good person i don't know um yeah i mean that that to me was more the about it the the tension and the menace of that scene is the realization uh, that, one, that Peter knows the secret. That Peter saying, like, the, was he naked, is about as brazen a question as asking him directly, are you a homosexual? Are you and, gay? And then the seductive cigarette to follow yes. that question is just, oh my god. Yeah. And to me, so then that translates into the next morning. When George goes to Phil's bedroom, I fully expected Peter to be in there. Ah, I fully expected that that was what the tension was. And then once he got sick, I went, okay, that's that's (laughs) interesting. And that seems like the perfect moment where they're having this moment of... Now, again, I, I look back to that, that George quote of, now I'm not alone. Phil finally could not be alone, quotation marks, and boom, he dies. I... Like, that's how I read that last you know half hour of the film or not. And his desperation, delirium to fulfill his promise to Peter, you know, running around with the lasso, all that jazz... That's how I read that, is that it's, it's, he's finally not alone, he's finally not alone, finally not alone. And then the, the immediate scene switch, the, the just quick turn from the car driving away to Coffin is so well done. It's really well done. It, it's, it's so final. Yeah. It, it's very much like uh, going back to House of Gucci, just going from the murder to the, the, the courtroom. It's just a very like, boom. Here, here's here's the moment. They and they could have like they could have done like a quick black cut, just like cut everything to black and then just come right back up after like a second to a coffin. And like that's 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 what it is. That's the exclamation point. That's the final moment. And then just a little bit of exposition to end it. Yeah, and it's 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 wild to me that I miss one little thing. I miss 
misinterpret Peter and Co- and Cody Smith McPhee was also fantastic. Yeah. I, just looking at his IMDb page, I, he was in The Road. I love The Road. The Road's a great movie. Um, and and, and the, he does so well. He does an amazing job. And I, I do want to say, like, there is something to that idea of, like, in that moment, they truly know each other in a way that up until that point, you know, the, the layers of, of toxic masculinity have prevented them from being able to do so. And it's, it's you know, with him, it, it comes down to, uh, you know, he, he's just willing to do whatever it takes to save his mom, which is a motivation that I think is so easily understood when you see just how dire of a strait his mom is in. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, I mean, I, I certainly think that um, your interpretation there is also very much in play. I, I think Peter is, is it's certainly a very intimate moment that the two share. And it certainly, um, it, it, it seems to me uh, that in uh, another world, perhaps, um, that relationship is able to go in a very different direction. But his, he is very much using his understanding of, of the science to put Phil in a position that he would never be in otherwise because Phil is this expert rancher who typically knows better. Um, and But it's not, it's not the science that puts him in that spot. It's the, remember early on, the reason Phil doesn't like want Rose, like keeps criticizing George for going back to visiting Rose, is like she's a gold digger. Like what mm-hmm. you know? Oh, you'll break you you break mom's heart. I didn't tell her about my mom about this woman because it'd break her heart to see her boy, you know, her baby boy fall for something like this. And to me, if I then take the your angle of it, the the way I guess the movie is portrayed of the poisoning, it's incredible then that Phil falls for a seductor. That that's, it's not, yeah, sure, like, he dies by anthrax poisoning because he touches leather that he wouldn't have touched otherwise, but he doesn't get to that moment without being seduced. Yeah, because Peter, and and like, yeah, Peter's found that hidden thing about him by finding the magazines and understanding that and is able to play off of it. It's, it's so... It's it's just God, this movie's so damn good. It's a really good film, guys. I I cannot cannot stress enough how good this film is. All all of the the main characters here, even George, like George is like you you understand the relationship between Phil and George, and I think that um you know you touched on on Phil not wanting to be alone, and I I think honestly that's a large part of why he's against the marriage, not. Like he says it's about her being a gold digger or whatever. It, it's an easy thing to kind of pick on and latch onto. But I think a lot of it is just he sleeps in the same bed as his brother. If he get his brother gets married, guess who's going to a different bed? Guess who's alone now? That's a thing that he cannot stand. And and it's one of the reasons why I think he's so brutal to Rose, is this idea of maybe you know driving her out so that he can go back to that but he can't admit that he wants that kind of relationship with his brother he cannot allow himself to be open about these feelings and it's why like 
Peter playing the long game the way that he does, finally kind of agreeing to do these things that he would otherwise have no interest in in order to to establish that kind of relationship. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's just, there's so much going on. Um, I want to give it a second watch, honestly. This is, I, I did not think that I would when I first watched the film. And I'm not even sure I, like, even afterwards, I, I felt like it was a one and done. But the more we're talking about it, the more I, I feel like there are just little details scattered throughout all of it that are worth that extra dive into. Um, now, now I, again, I, I totally agree. The, the redefining what the ending of the movie is has now got my mind racing because now I'm thinking of the scene where Phil, uh, where they're out fixing the fence and the, the rabbit and Phil, you know, cut, you know, gashes himself on the, uh, the splinter. And now like looking back at it and Peter's just like, he, he picks up the rabbit and he's like petting the rabbit and he, the camera flips to Phil and all of a sudden you just hear the crack, mm-hmm. the neck crack. It's like, to me, that moment wasn't, that moment was of a, like, of Peter, like, becoming a rancher and understanding that, like, the animal is injured. Don't, you know, don't let it, don't have it be pain. You know, just take care of it. As he says, you know, take it out of its misery. And he does. And to me, again, interpreting that was a, like, oh, yeah, this is a mentor-mentee relationship, and he's finally kind of accepting, like, sometimes you have to do this. And because he has, like, a medical background, like, he's not squeamish about that. Because he's, you know, already killed a rabbit. He's already done it. Yeah, it's not a thing he has to ever learn to do. But him capturing a rabbit and then killing it to dissect it at home and then just like how nonchalantly he kills that rabbit and then his interest in a dead cow carcass it is it's like it's like a serial it's like problem child 101 like these are like these are like psychological signs that they use to diagnose you know problem kids and and uh, behavioral issues and a classic psychology when you look at serial killers was like oh yeah they tortured animals when they're kids they you know burned ants with magnifying glasses so now looking at it again with a, a different type of conclusion you go oh my god like his dispassionate behavior the animals thing like oh yeah that totally makes sense that this is all just a long-term plan for him to kill his mother's tormentor it's classic norman bates yeah it's wow it's really well done i've also heard that the book is quite good uh but the the screenplay that they've built here to make it work for the cinema uh is really smart jane campion does an incredible job uh she got uh the silver lion award already from the venice film festival an award that is not necessarily given out every year um there's a lot that this film is going to uh continue to be nominated for we've already seen uh the new york films critic circle the washington dc circle uh give it a lot of uh director and best actor best supporting actor best supporting actress adaption original you know like so many uh different things that this movie uh, is getting nominated for and it's it's because all of these pieces work that the whole ends up being so captivating because there very easily this could have been a film that would have just bounced off me right with a with a less engaging actor performance with a with a you know 
with worse it's you know, like scene to scene editing or, or with the um without the little quirks that all of these characters are able to demonstrate um this film could have just been a very good film but as a result of what is is here uh i would argue it is an excellent film um I th- I know we're we're too early for a rating perhaps, but I'm giving this one a ten out of ten. It's the first ten out of ten we're doing on the show. I uh, everyone should like. I, well, I I say everyone. No film is for everybody, but if you are a fan of the art of cinema, there is so much artistry on display from everyone involved in this project that it is just an incredibly engaging watch. Yeah, it's incredible to me that it's 45 minutes into the podcast and this is the first time we've actually mentioned like the cinematography and the, the art beyond the performance of the actors. This is uh, this is a gorgeously shot movie. The backdrops that they had, the, the when they kind of zoom out and show the landscapes. I know this was filmed uh, in, on location in New Zealand, um, you know, before the pandemic started and then they had to pause filming because of the pandemic. Um, just everything well shot. The scene where Phil and Peter are looking at the hill and Phil asks Peter, you know, what do you think Bronco Bill saw? That, just the framing of it where you just get like their heads and their shoulder and you see the hill and you see nothing. And just when Peter like immediately says, oh, I see a dog, like all of a sudden the shadow turns into a dog. And I get it. It, it, that's, That's some film trickery but it has that moment and i just now off like off the uh top of my head i'm thinking of the moment in uh prisoner of azkaban where he looks up into the cloud and there's just the you know the sign of the grim and then it sort of disappears that same kind of just like instantaneous moment of that and it's it's so well done the audio is so well done it's it's in nature so you get all these just nature sounds permeating through everything. You get the cacophony of the of the uh, ranch hands when it's necessary. I, I yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with you. This is a ten out of ten. And even if you would think like this isn't normally my type of movie, like I get it. Like I said at the beginning, this movie gave me Revenant vibes across the board. I viewed it as Oscar bait. It is 1 million percent Oscar bait. Like, I don't want to step away from that. But it's Oscar bait in the best way because it is understanding what kinds of movies the Academy likes. And it's saying, we'll we'll play your game. We'll do your whole pony show here. But we're going to do it really, really well. And the acting performances are fantastic. If Cumberbatch doesn't win Best Actor Oscar for this, I don't know what he can do at this point. <laughs> I, I just, it's a it's a tour de force across the board. And if you can get past sort of the slowness of the beginning, I will admit the beginning is a bit slow as you're setting the scene for everything. But basically once Peter gets to the ranch, which is our to an hour and a half in once you hit that point that's when the movie really takes off and you really get the further decline of rose you get the interactions between phil and peter and as their relationship blossoms as phil's hard gruff exterior softens 
that the movie really does take off and you you don't feel the time go by you are just completely absorbed and completely sucked into it and are just you are along for the ride in the absolute best way and i'm really glad you brought up the uh seeing the dog in the mountain because that's something that comes up in very early scene in the film, he talks about to the ranch hands about, like, do you see what Bronco Henry saw? And they're like, oh, I can't see anything. And there's that disconnect between him and the people around him. And then when Peter sees it, there is a just that spark of, like, you see what the person I loved saw. You understand something about me that no one else has before. And there's something so powerful about that moment. And you see Phil switch in that moment. That is the moment that Phil decides that he is going to teach rather than just torment when it comes to Peter. And it it, it just, God, there's there's so much here. Um, I feel like you could you could break down. Every scene from uh, when Rose gets to their, uh, the ranch on. That's, for me, it was about 30 minutes in when, when Rose gets there. I think every scene from that point forward, you could break down all of these different thematic moments that all tie together into this larger cohesive whole and, and how the subtle nuances of the performances really bring that stuff up to the forefront. Um, just... Yeah, man, if Netflix certainly wants to win awards, they want to uh, have the prestige that some of these other production studios do. And the thing is that because they're a streaming platform and a lot of, you know, the old school types don't like the new age tech and the idea that these are not like they don't do the typical cinema things. Netflix has to be that much better. It has to be perfect or it's not going to be put in the conversation with those other kinds of films and nailed it. Uh, so, so glad I saw this. Um, I actually saw it in theaters for the record. Um, my roommate and I decided to go see it during the one week in which it was available because you have to see it. Uh, it has to be shown in, in theaters for at least a week, uh, for it to be eligible. Um, Obviously, it was not shown in a ton of places, but I'm glad I got to see that on the big screen because, man, nothing else I've seen this year like it. It is currently my pick for best film of the year. Um, I, I have, obviously, a couple of films that I uh, otherwise quite love, uh, including The French Dispatch, which I know you would hate, so we're never going to talk about it on this show um because you're not a wes anderson guy which is fair maybe maybe one day no once we built built this back up it's we'll do some <laughs> we'll do some like uh charity thing or whatever and we'll make that like the ultimate goal where we'll watch a bunch of wes anderson movies and you can you can just glow about all of them and i'll sit here with a scotch and just grumble like an angry old man and just be like Michael Bay's better. <laughs> Bruh, oh, I hate this. I hate subtlety and art and which I obviously don't because this movie it's it's not a junk food movie. It's not an action movie. It's it is it is subtle and nuanced and clearly 
I missed something watching this. Again, I'll own up to I was semi-distracted from it because I was so worried that it was just going to be this The Revenant Oscar bait movie. And like, yeah, it's a good story and yada, yada, yada. And it's very pretty and Cumberbatch is, you know, grating and abusive and fantastic. And yeah, but it's incredible how just missing that one little detail, I was still able to craft a story that... I think makes almost as much sense. Yeah. I think is as good as what, you know, the ending ends up being. I don't think it takes anything away from the film to view it as a mentor-mentee relationship that is, like, loving as opposed to, oh, no, he just murdered him. Like, cold-blooded murder. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I think it's so much about, um, it says so much about the quality of the film that the characters are, just as engaging and the story is just as powerful just because everyone in this is giving it their all um yeah i i mean i i i am sure that there are details that i missed as well um i'll tell you the bronco henry uh handkerchief one was one that i also missed when watching it um and i was i was literally I had uh, nothing else going on and I didn't put that together until I was going in Wikipedia and I'm like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I, I think that it's a film that uh, when I go back to it, I will find more there because there's just so many layers to it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, at the end of the day, uh, he successfully delivered his mom from the power of the dog and we have successfully delivered a podcast to the lovely listeners <laughs> yeah, yes we have it, it's <laughs> it's nice not to be alone and to have someone to talk to uh about about movies and i think ultimately one of the reasons that i'm i i'm so happy that we decided to get back together and talk about films is like if we weren't doing this podcast i probably never would have watched this mm -hmm. i i don't think it ever would have been like on my list necessarily maybe after the fact maybe after the oscars happened i would have been like hey what, what was this movie about i love benedict cumberbatch um but it would have been on that list of like things like i still haven't watched el, el camino a breaking bad story and when that was like announced i was like oh i absolutely gotta watch this but like life happens and you're busy and it is really nice to be able to take some time out of my week my month my year um to sit down and watch these movies and watch junk food movies you know like black panther or shang chi uh or suicide squad and like jack you know joke and laugh about them and go oh i was so crazy that was so cool captain boomerang's the best and then also have these more nuanced discussions like with a No Time to Die or The Power of the Dog. And, you know, go back to AP Lit for a little bit and look at the, look at the symbolism and talk about the symbolism, you know, and realize you missed out on the entire ending of the movie and misinterpreted <laughs> it and got the plot completely wrong on, you know, recorded. This is for uh, everyone. Once it's on the internet, every, it's, it's there forever. So people can laugh at me and... Uh, you know, if you want to laugh alongside Chase, Chase, 
Where can the good folks at home find you? For the record, I wouldn't have this podcast any other way. Uh, the, to, to have that be a reveal is everything I wanted from this episode. Uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at Rough Drafts Pod. Um, would love to hear from you guys. I do appreciate uh, people reaching out, sharing thoughts on, on the films, uh, watching along with us. People are seeing films that, uh, like us, that maybe we wouldn't have seen had we not been doing the show. I know that there are some listeners out there who are watching things that they would not have seen uh, because we are doing the show on it. So uh, if we helped uh, encourage you to go watch this film and you ended up enjoying it, please let us know. Uh, if you didn't, let us know that too. I'm kind of fascinated what a negative opinion of this film would look like. Um, but yeah, uh, think just follow us there. Uh, stay tuned for uh, some more exciting stuff coming up. Uh, I think a negative interpretation of this film would be it was long, it was boring, I wanted action. Mm. And I was getting Western and I thought there was going to be action. Uh, I disagree with that. Obviously, not all Westerns have to be action movies. They don't all have to be cowboy movies. Uh, and with that said, you know, if you think all Westerns uh, have to be cowboy action movies, please, by all means, reach out to me on Twitter at C80s underscore LOL. I will be happy to tell you how wrong you are. Um, and with that being said, I know earlier I sort of like hemmed and hawed of I didn't know which order of movie we, we put these out. Um, I'm pretty sure looking at my schedule, we've done both of the Netflix cowboy movies at this point. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna come back to the present. We're gonna come back to something a little bit more modern. We're gonna leave the 1800s, early 1900s behind and, uh, try something Neo. Until next time. <laughs> Goodbye, internet. How dare you? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>